back with me um, to 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. And we're going we're gonna to finish up this, uh, this, first, this letter to 1 Corinthians. We've been in t- digging and pulling on this for the last 15 weeks, I believe, 14, 15 weeks, talking about scandalous, an inside look at the Corinthian church. We know that the Apostle Paul is the writer of this text. Am I right about it? Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church uh, to address some issues that he had heard about and had been reported to him. Uh, And so he addressed those issues that he had heard about and had been reported to him in the first part of his letter. And in the second part of his letter, he begins to answer their questions concerning some things and concerns that were going on in the church at Corinth. Are y'all still with me today? Okay, and so as we get down to the to tail end of this this book here, this the latter part is 15 chapter. On last Sunday, we dealt with the power of the resurrection uh, as we celebrated the resurrection of the Savior. Am I right about it? And so we know that through Jesus Christ uh, conquering death on the cross of Calvary, you and I have the power and the ability to live a victorious life. Jesus said it in John 10 and 10. We quote it all the time. The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and that you may have it, what, more abundantly. So because of what Jesus did, because of his sacrificial death, you and I have victory in this life. If we trusted in that, received it, and began to grow in our faith, then we have victory in this life. I do not believe that as Christians, we have to be burdened down and broke down. As believers, we ought to have vibrant lives. As believers, we ought, to, we ought to walk into a room and light that room up because the God in us begins to shine out and people see that. Amen? So as believers, we ought to be victorious. We ought to have a, a life that's full of joy. Amen. Not that we don't have sorrowful situations that come. Not that we don't have stuff that happens. Because if you're born into this world, stuff is going to happen. Can I get a witness? My Bible tells me it rains on the just, Sean, as well as on the unjust. So because we are living in this world, some rain will come into our life. But that rain, amen, does not have to tamp out the joy that's on the inside of us. Because when we are born again believers, God has given us the answer to all of life's problems. And it's wrapped up in Jesus Christ, amen, our Lord and Savior. So here in this last uh, two chapters here, we, we talked about the power of the resurrection. But I want to just pick on this, the last uh, verse number 50. Let's start our reading right there. And then we're going to move over into this last chapter, the 16th chapter, and finish out, amen, this series on scandalous and inside look at the Corinthian church. Now, there's more things that Paul said in the second letter, but we want to focus on this first letter because I believe the climate in which we're living in now is indicative of the climate that was happening in the church of Corinth. Uh, I believe that we are living in an age and and we're in a generation now where people will come to church but not let what they learn in church, amen, uh, have any impact on what they do in their everyday lives. Uh, We don't want want a a salvation experience that only consists of Sunday morning, right? We want a salvation experience that is holistic and it's with us 24-7. So what I do on Monday should reflect my attitude on Sunday. What I do on Saturday should reflect my attitude on Sunday. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe some people have some bad attitudes on Sunday, and it flows over the rest of the week. What I I believe is that we have the power and authority in us to live a victorious Christian life and to represent Christ well in the earth realm. Amen? So look at me, if you will, this 50 verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. The text says this, what am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is is, is that what I am saying, dear brothers, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Next verse says what? It says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. What Paul is saying is that we're going to live forever and we're going to live in eternity, but we can't do it in these bodies. How many of y'all are glad that you ain't got to live eternity with that body you got now? I know some of you think you look good, and you do look good. I'm, talking, I don't, I'm not talking about that, but, but sometimes this body doesn't feel so well, does it? This body gets sick. Come on. This body has headaches, aches, and pains, arthritis. 
So thank God that this body is not what we, what we will be encapsulated in for the rest of eternity. He says, but let me reveal you a, a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be what? Transformed. We will all be transformed. And what Paul is referencing here is there's going to come a day of reckoning when Jesus is going to come back for his church. You all know it as the rapture, right? We've talked about it before, the rapture of the church. God is going to come back for the church. And what he's saying here, Paul is letting them know that this physical body will not live forever uh, in the shape that it's in now, but we're going to have a transformed body. Watch this. We will not all die, but we, are, we will all be what? Transformed. We will be changed. Everybody say, I need to change. Watch this. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Now, you know, Paul, as he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, explained about the death of loved ones. We see that and we read it at every funeral. First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verse number 13, where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have sleep. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be unlearned about what happens to us, amen, when we die in the earth realm. We need to have understanding, right? And so he says here, uh, he says, it will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live what? Forever. And we, will, and we who are living will also be transformed. So transformation will take place with those who are in the grave. Amen. And transformation will take place with those who are still living when the trumpet sounds. Amen. All right, that's, that's the transformation of this body. Watch this next verse. Let's read. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Read on. It says what? Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. What is that? Death is what? Swallowed up. In victory, read on. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Verse 56 says what? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at it. It says, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now stop right there. We said on last week that Jesus himself is known as the first fruits of the resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, a man was buried in a borrowed tomb and resurrected a man on the third day morning. Then he was he was setting the stage for you and I to be resurrected because when he died, a man and, and came back from the grave, then what he did was he conquered death. So if Jesus conquered death and I am in Jesus, guess what? That means that I have conquered death. That means that as a born-again believer, death doesn't really have a hold on me. In other words, I'm not afraid of dying. Let me say it again. I'm not afraid of dying. I didn't say I want to die right now, but I said I'm not scared of it. What does that mean, my pastor? That means that if I were to die right now, I, I have my eternal destination already sealed because I made a decision, amen, when I was going into my 10th grade year in high school. Are y'all with me today? I, I made a decision to invite Christ into my heart to save me. Are y'all listening to me today? And so as a result of that, I'm not afraid of death because I know that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So as a result, I, I have that, that, that peace about dying, but I'm not ready to die yet because I believe there's some, some more things that God has for me to accomplish. Now, if the Lord takes me, he takes me. Amen? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul. Paul says, for me to die is gain. For me to live, I think, is somewhat beneficial to you, right? Because as your pastor, I should be feeding you. I should be telling you some stuff to help you live your life in a way that you can experience victory. I should be. Am I? Am I? Y'all, y'all help me out. Do I, do I help you a little bit? Do I help you some? If I don't, then, then okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe just pray for me, okay? 
But, but prayerfully, I'm saying something that will enlighten you to live your life in a more productive and biblical sort of way. Am I, am, y'all with me today? So, so, so for me to live means that, that, that uh, you're gaining some benefit by having a pastor, amen, who's been here for 30 years, right? 30 years is a long time. I said I've been here 30 years. I just, just, give me, just give me a clap for that, okay, right? Anybody, anybody can last somewhere for 30 years dealing with us folks. Come on now. I, I deserve one clap. I ain't trying to brag, but I mean, just hung around for 30 years. But pra- I, I'm, I'm being facetious there. Now, so don't, don't walk away. Somebody, he's being braggadocious. No, what I'm saying is that, that, that in that 30-year period, something should have been said to put, a, to put a, a, a fire in your belly to cause you to move forward and walk in faith. Something should have been said that will cause you to be able to do marriage better. Something should have been said that will cause you to be able to handle your finances better. Something should have been said to, to, to give you peace, amen, during the storm of life. Something should have been said that give you a foundation for which you can stand on in a time of storm. Something. Can I get two witnesses and say, yeah, he said something. Yeah, he, he said something. I'm still married because he said something. I'm still married because I went on that marriage retreat and the word was put inside of me. I was getting ready to leave him. But then the Lord spoke to me through my past. And I'm still here, yet holding on. Are you yet holding on? Then keep on keeping on then, baby. Okay, y'all with me? All right, now watch, watch this. But says, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, and then we're going to move into this next step. Because again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the first fruit for us. It lets us know that we have, amen, the authority and power to live forever. Because again, in this Greek society in Corinth here, a lot of these Greek philosophers didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. We said that last week, right? They were so, so sophisticated and so scholarly and erudite, they didn't have enough sense to even know that God was working through the master, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross of Calvary. But Jesus' resurrection was a precursor of our resurrection. So that's, that's coming a great day, amen? The old folks say it's that great getting up morning. Fare ye well, fare ye well. A great getting that morning. Whenever Jesus cracks the sky, we're gonna, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain are going to be what? Caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 58, watch this now. So, because we know this, because we know that we, there's a day coming when we're going to be resurrected, our body's going to be transformed, the dead in Christ are going to be transformed, and we who are alive are going to be transformed. So, my dear brothers and sisters, because of that, what does he say? Be strong and immovable. All right, now, now listen, to be strong and to be immovable means that I'm not easily swayed by stuff that comes my way. KJV says be steadfast, unmovable. In other words, I'm not going to allow anything, anybody, any person to cause me to move off of my faith. I'm not going to allow any situation. I'm not going to allow anything that comes my way to cause me to doubt what I believe. Go go to the KJV. I like the way that reads on there. It says, be steadfast, unmovable, always what? Abounding. In the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So here's what I'm looking for as a pastor. I'm telling you right up front. I'm looking for members who are willing to engage. I'm looking for members who are willing to connect. I'm looking for members who are, will, who are willing to say, Pastor, I'm not going to run at the first time, first time I have a disagreement with somebody in the church. Because I promise you, as sure as you're sitting there, and as sure as you're black, if you are black, then you're going to, you're going to disagree with somebody. Everything in church won't go your way. 
Hello? So learn how to deal with it. Just like everything in your home doesn't go your way. And if you're still married, you've learned how to deal with it. Have you learned? I said, have you learned? Some of y'all had not learned, have you? Everything will not go your way. Any relationship that you're in, whether it's a, a covenantal marital relationship or a church member to church member relationship or an employer to employee relationship, everything will not go your way. The question is, how do you perform and how do you respond when things don't go your way? See, when you are moving with Jesus Christ, when you're understanding the things of God, you learn how to handle differences in a biblical God-honoring way. So Paul says, again, he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now watch this. So we, we, we want to be steadfast. We want to be steadfast. I, I'm looking for members who are willing. I'm looking for believers, not members. I'm looking for born-again believers who are willing to be steadfast and unmovable, who, who are willing to be consistent. Everybody say consistency is important. Because guys, let me ask you a question. How could we, how could we do what we've done I mean, just, just I'm giving you a natural example. And, and, and again, church is more than buildings. Church is more than vehicles. This is simply an enclosed space to do the work of ministry. But guess what? We couldn't have done what we did, even with building this building, even with remodeling, moving the sound booth, expanding the stage to make a, a, a greater presence when we, when we do ministry. Uh, like last Sunday, we had all those praise dances up here you would have to run from them from down there because, you know, they hit you in the face with something. They, you know. How many of y'all remember you were sitting on the front row, especially when they used to wave those flags? Y'all remember we had the flags? When we used to have the flags, them sisters would come through, and, man, you, you, you get your head taken off. They were praising the Lord, but when they rolled through that, you better duck. Anybody, used, I remember Charles getting out the way on that front row. But now, if they have the flags now, then you, know, you, you don't have to worry about your head getting. <laughs> Sherry, you want to want to roll. You was, when you doing it? Okay, all right. Good, good, good. But again, we would not be able to do these things if we had people who were inconsistent in supporting the work of ministry. In other words, you, you, you tired every now and then. How are you going to run a ministry with everybody tithing every now and then? You're tired in January, but you miss February, March, April, May, June, July. And come back in August. How are we going to commit to something when people aren't committed? Guys, here's what I would do. I remember, you, you, most of you all know that I was in banking for 17 years. And, and one of the things that God blessed me to be able to do was to help churches finance their vision. Was to help churches get building programs done. And one of the things that, that I would always tell churches is this. I said, listen, I'm a man of faith and I believe God. And I know that you're a man of faith and you all are people of faith and you believe God. I said, but you know what? As a banker, uh, um, I, I, I love faith, but I need to see some consistency and support too. Because people will say I'm with you, but if they're not paying anything, they ain't really with you. And they cannot do what they do without me seeing something, some evidence that the, there's some consistency and commitment. We spell commitment in the banking world, M-O-N-E-Y. All right? Now, in, in, in the faith world, we spell it, well, I just believe and I receive. You believe you receive, but guess what? You have to put some money in to show that you're really committed. Right? If you ever had to purchase anything, one of the things that, uh, let's say you go purchase a car or you're going to purchase whatever, um, and you tell that person at that dealership, Hold that car for me. And, and, and I'm going to be back this weekend. It's Monday. Now, they will hold it for you. Dave, you correct me if I'm wrong. You will hold it for them if they put what? You got to put some yeah, money down. Shows that there's a commitment to continue with the process. Are you with me? No hard feeling because Brother David probably saw people say, I'm going to buy it on Monday. And he can't find them on Saturday. But there's somebody that came in on Wednesday that was ready to buy it, but he didn't sell it because you told him you're coming back on Saturday. 
Are you following me? So that's spelled commitment. So when it comes to being committed, when it comes to doing ministry, we can't do ministry and, and plan and for vision without a people who are committed to financing the vision. So be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord when it comes to your commitment to the ministry. That's what he's saying here because he, he says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. So if there was no, no money put into the ministry, then you knew people weren't really committed to the ministry. Now listen, when I say that, I'm not saying the amount because God does not look at the amount, but he looks at the quality of your giving. Not the quantity, but the quality. And the quality, amen, of your giving is not measured by the amount because the guy who gave 10000 may could have gave $100,000. Are you following me? So, uh, so you remember the widow with the one mite? Jesus says she's giving more than all the rest of them. Why? Because she gave out of her knees, she gave out of her all, and she made a sacrificial commitment to sow and to help the ministry. So we need people in all aspects of ministry being committed and dedicated. Everybody say, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now get to the 16th chapter right quick. Let's, let's go. This wasn't a setup for the 16th chapter, but I want to share it with you. Watch what he says here in chapter 16, verse number one. Because uh, I like the, you know, the Corinthian believers had their issues, but yet at the same time, uh, when we get to this 16th chapter, we see that they had a question that they'd asked Paul concerning the collection that he was taking up for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul answered their question, and then he closed this letter by informing the church uh, of some of his personal travel plans and, and also the plans for his associates in the ministry, okay? So, but this chapter here deals with three areas of stewardship. Number one, money. Write this down. Money. Number one, money. Number two, opportunities. And number three, people. Everybody say money, opportunity, and people. Can I repeat it again? It says what? Money, opportunities, and people. Our stewardship, amen, we can learn how to be better stewards of our money, over our opportunities, and over our people. How many of y'all ever wasted an opportunity? How many of you ever wasted time? How many of you know time is a valuable thing, right? And so many times we waste it and pretend like we don't have enough of it and the reason why we feel like we don't have enough of it is because we haven't been good steward over the, our time, our opportunity. So we're going to look at here in this third, in this 16th chapter, this last chapter in 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at stewardship, amen, over money, over our opportunities, and over people, amen? Now, now again, watch what it says here in this first verse of 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. Watch me. Let's read. It says what? Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. You should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. Watch what verse 2 says. Come on, let's go with it. It says, on the first day of each week, you should eat, put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Stop right there. Look at what he says here. So in case you don't understand what he's saying, I'm going to explain what he's saying. I believe this is self-explanatory, but let me say it one more time. He says here, on the first day of each week, which is what? Sunday, okay? Uh, you should each put aside a portion of all your money. Now it says a portion of your money that you have earned. Okay? So that means that uh, when I receive increase, when I receive a check, when I receive a direct deposit into my bank account, then uh, the first day of the week, all right, I'm going to lay it aside a portion. Well, biblically speaking, we know that we teach and we know that tithing was a, the, was a, uh, a, a proportion that God honored in the Old Covenant. He honored with Ab- before the Old Covenant because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek in appreciation for God's victory in battle. So tithing was before the law, during the law, and what? After the law. 
So if we make that a starting point, just a starting point, because really grace giving goes beyond that. But it's a starting point, right? Ever say starting point. So don't get hung up on it. So don't get hung up on it. It's a starting point. Don't go below the starting point. You can go up above it. Don't go below it. Because God would never require us to do less under grace than what we did under law. But again, tithing was before the law, during the law, and after the law. Amen? Don't have time to teach that today. We went over it numerous times in the church. But understand this. So whenever I get paid or whenever I get some birthday money, whenever I get some Christmas money, whenever somebody just comes and puts some money in your hand and says, I want to bless you. You know, then we are we, we need to we need to uh, take a portion of that and lay it aside and bring it on the first day of the week. And if you can't hold it, give online the day you get it because you don't want anything to come in and disrupt your flow. Some of us know that we will be tempted to take it and spend it. So what you do is go online. If you don't need to, if you can't go online, just write a check and bring it to the church. We'll hold it for you. <laughs> Beverly, we're holding the office for you. We got to. Yeah, bring the check. What am I saying? He says on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it. What? All at once. Now, one of the most important ministries Paul had during his third missionary journey was the gathering of a special. This is, now, this is a special relief offering he's collecting for the believers in Jerusalem. He wanted... He wanted to, 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 to accomplish some things by taking this special relief offering. Number one, for one thing, the Gentiles owed material help to the Jews in return for their spiritual blessings that the Jews had given them. Go to Romans, the 15th chapter. We write it. Romans 15, and let's look at verse number 25. Romans 15, verse number 25. Are y'all still tracking with me? So as we, as we close out this, this series on scandalous, here we're looking at, Stewardship over three things, three areas. Number one is what? Number two is what? And number three is what? People. Your stewardship over money, opportunities, and people. How, how is your stewardship matriculating in all three of those areas? How is it really, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? Is it vibrant or is it stale and dull? Stewardship is what? How you handle something. A steward is a is not an owner, but he is a what? He's a manager. A steward manages, but he doesn't own. Guess what? All of us in there, how many of y'all are born again? Let me see your hand. Come on, real quickly. How many of you are born again believers? If you are a born again believer, guess what? You are a steward. Because the Bible says you are not your own. You've been what? Bought with a prize. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to him, all right? So if I don't belong to myself, I belong to God, and then whatever God gives me, he owns it, but he allows me to do what? Manage it. He, he allows me to oversee it. He allows me the privilege of working together with him. I am a co-laborer with Christ, amen? But watch what he says here, okay? Look at what he says. He says, but before I come, Paul writing, to the saints at Rome, he says this, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. Watch this. Next verse says what? For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. So how did they take up that offering? What's the adverb? Eagerly describes how they took up the offering. Whenever offering times comes, we should always be in the mindset to give eagerly and cheerfully. Because God loves what? Now, have you ever been to a service, and be honest with me, you ever been to a service and you kind of got mad when the offering time came around? Anybody, anybody ever got mad? Okay, come on, raise your hand, raise your hand. I mean, have you, have you, I mean when the offering wasn't being done the right way. Because there are some people who, who, who really, I think some of them mean well, but they don't, they're not being biblical. And there are some 
who know better and they're trying to be manipulative. See, I don't want to ever be guilty of manipulating you into giving something because if you have been manipulated into giving it and you're giving it grudgingly, you, you, that kind of giving don't get blessed. Are y'all with me? So he says here, for you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. So if I were to stop the sermon right now and say, Get, give me the buckets, we're going to send an offering for those folks in Russia. We're going to send the offering to our, our church in Haiti. How many of y'all could give eagerly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many, how many of you would, how many of you would, would, would give cheerfully and, and, and not have a boot in your mouth? <laughs> you know what a boot in your mouth means? You're looking all you know, mad and angry. All right. Giving should always be done cheerfully, should be given eagerly and not out of constraint and not out of compulsion, not out of out of having your arm twisted to give. Are you all with me? We don't do arm twisting giving around here. We do cheerful amen, free free will offerings around here. So watch this. Watch this. And it says take up an offering and, and the cave eagerly taking up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. Watch this next verse. He says what? They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Why? Why? Since the Gentiles, watch this, receive the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem. They feel the least they can do in return is to help them how? Say it again. In other words, the believers in Jerusalem had shared the gospel with these Gentile regions, and those in the Gentile regions had gotten saved through the preaching of the gospel. It said they were, they were glad to support those in Jerusalem who were experiencing financial hardship Amen, because they had helped get them saved. If somebody is pouring into your life spiritually, it's no great thing, the Apostle Paul said in another chapter, uh, to, to give unto them material things. All right? Are y'all tracking with me here? Go with me to 1 Corinthians the ninth chapter. Hurry, hurry, hurry. All right, so, so again, we're looking at uh, stewardship over money. So, so for one thing, the Gentiles owed material help to the Jews because of uh, uh, their, their spiritual blessings that they had poured upon them. First Corinthians the ninth chapter. Hurry, hurry! Look at verse number one with me. Paul explains his right and his privilege. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I want to share this with you because it's critically important that we understand this. There are going to be times when the Holy Spirit will move on your heart to bless somebody who's blessed you spiritually. And when that happens, when you learn to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading, then God will bless the person who's receiving it. But he also blesses you because you are hearing his voice and moving at his command. How many of y'all realize that God blesses people to bless you? All right, now, take for instance, all right, let's say for instance you work for a company. And this company prospers and they had record earnings this past year. Don't get mad at the man who owns the company. Tell me he make too much money. How do you know he make too much money? If he, if he took all of the risks, come on now, he ought to get the bulk of the money. But if he's smart, he realizes that I wouldn't have made all this money without a good staff that enabled me to make the money. Come on. But I, I'm not going to get mad at the the man who's making the money and the company that make money because what should happen is when the company gets record earnings, I get blessed too. As an employee or a manager at that company. Amen? Alright, so, so, if, so, so if, if he gets blessed, then I get blessed. And I can in turn turn around and bless my family and bless the church. If I get blessed, guess what? My family going to get blessed, and you better, you better believe it, that God, first of all, I'm going to return unto God, first of all, what he's blessed me, me with. All right, all right, all right. Just want to make sure. Watch, watch this, watch this. He says, am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? This is Paul talking to the church of Corinth, and he says, you guys are saved because of my work in the Lord. 
But there were some in Corinth who were, who were challenging Paul's authority and the right to receive financial support from them. I like Paul's attitude. Watch what he says here, verse number two. Even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I'm the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Watch this. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Now, here's the kicker. Other preachers were living in their homes and sharing their meals, but they had a problem with Paul. I think some of them had a problem with Paul because Paul told the truth. And Paul was, Paul had, Paul's way of telling the truth was a little bit more direct, a little bit more to the point than maybe some guys who maybe could say it a little bit more smoother and it was more palatable or they could receive it better. Paul just spoke it and told it like it was. Amen? We need both kinds in the church, right? We need some Pauls and we need some Barnabases. Barnabas was known as the son of consolation. Barnabas was the one who took John Mark when Paul said, no, when that Paul told him he can't go with us because last time we went out, he turned around and went back home. How many of of y'all know all of us need a Barnabas in our life? You need somebody who's going to come and say, okay, baby, it's going to be all right. All right. We're going to make it. I mean, you know, I know Pastor Adams said that a little harshly to you, but he, he meant well. He was, he, was, he was direct, but, but you know, you were wrong. And that wasn't right what you did, but you know what? It's going to be all right. We're going to help you. We're going to help you get back to where you need to be. And you, what you notice is, is, here's why I say we need some Pauls and some Barnabas, because of Paul's rejection of John Mark, and it was Barnabas that took him, right? And then later on, when you get over into in, in, in some other chapters, you see that Paul, at the end of his life, said John Mark did well. Now, guess what? He probably wouldn't have done well had Paul not addressed this issue. The reason why some of us don't get any better, we don't have anybody in our life who will address our issue. You know you mean and ugly, but I'm going to tell you you mean and ugly. Come on. Or maybe you don't even know it. And you need somebody in your life who tell you, man, you, you, you know, you can be mean at times. You got to watch that. You need somebody in your life. That's why we get to this third one about uh, stewardship over people. It's important for us to have that connectivity. Here's what we're learning on Wednesday night, guys. And we're going to talk about it at the end of this message. If I get there right quick. I got to get there. We're learning that we need interdependent relationships. People who are mature in their faith are involved in interdependent relationships. And we'll talk about it in just a second. Okay, watch it. Don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife with us as the other disciples and the Lord's brother do and as Peter does? Watch this. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? Watch this. Now, he's saying he's talking about in their apostolic ministry, there were others who were receiving support from the Corinthian church. And Paul, the one that got them saved, they had a problem with it. In, in that, I told y'all before, it's a trip, isn't it? The people who you help the most are the ones who will turn on you the quickest. The one who you sit over there uh, uh, serving, trying to help them get past whatever they're trying to get past, and once they get past whatever they're trying to get past, they kick you to the curb. The one who you did the most for are the ones who will just talk about you like you ain't got, like you, like you ain't got no sense. Watch this. What soldier has to pay his own expenses. What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of the fruit is fruit. What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Look at the next verse. Says, well, am I expressing merely a human opinion or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? Verse 10, wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us. So that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect they share the harvest. So if you are receiving spiritual nourishment and development from anybody, then it's only right to, you know, to share and pour into that person's life who's feeding you spiritually. And Paul had that right here, even though he chose not to receive it from, for current because he didn't want them to mess him up. Okay, so now watch this. So the first thing we said, stewardship over, our, over money, right? Now, Paul, again, Paul, 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 uh, Paul, 
Paul wanted to achieve several purposes in, in, in this offering, this special offering. He wanted, number one, he, he wanted the Gentiles, he said the Gentiles owed material help because the Jews in return to, to pay the Jews, to help the Jews because the Jews had poured into their lives spiritually. Second thing is, apart from keeping his promise and meeting a, a need, Paul's greatest motive for taking up this offering was to help unite Jewish and Gentile believers. Because guys, let me tell you something, there were schisms between Jews and Gentiles. Now, again, we don't take it in that term today, but guess what? Even in the church today, there's schism between blacks and whites. Can we be honest? There are schisms between Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and Assembly of God and Church of God in Christ or Church of God. There are schisms in the church today. So Paul Amen. Want to receive, want to bring this special offering from the Gentiles and take it to the Jews in order to help unite them in faith. So there are times, guys, when 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 God wants to utilize us to do things to help bring unity in the body of Christ. Okay. So now, even though this was a special uh, missionary offering, him, uh, Paul's instruction here, I think, hold true for us today in our regular giving. Now, write these things down. Number one, giving is an act of worship. I told you all these before, but write them down because uh, some of y'all missed it the first time. Right? Some of y'all remember, but most of y'all don't take notes. And most of y'all leave here and, and remember 10% of what I said. Somebody will say, well, Pastor, all he talked about was money today. No, I'm, you, you missed me. You missed me, okay? Watch this. Number one, giving is an act of worship. Each member was to come to the Lord's Day uh, prepared to give his share for that week. The early church met on the first day of the week, okay? And, and so they, and he, he was instructed them to bring the offering on the first day of the week. So giving is an act of worship. So whenever it's offering time, guys, don't, don't sink down in your seat. Uh, don't get mad. It's time to worship. And we say it this way, let's worship the Lord in our giving, right? People think singing is worship, but, but giving is a part of worship too, okay? Are y'all with me? So giving is an act of worship. Giving should be systematic. Everybody say systematic. You can't plan when you got sporadic giving. It should be systematic, all right? What, what does systematic mean? You know what it means, right? If, if you are... If, if, if a husband comes home and, and he, he brings money home erratically, in other words, he gets paid every, every, every two weeks, but he brings money home once a month. Somebody said it's a problem, right? Didn't it? It's not systematic. Oh, he brings, he, he brings, you know what, he goes and gambles the rest of it. He goes and, 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 and gives, you know, uh, support the other family he got on the other side of town that you don't know anything about. Everybody say systematic. Let me put it this way. Everybody say regular. See, it has to be done regularly. Just like all of us have to go to the bathroom regularly or systematically. If you don't go to the bathroom systematically and regularly, something is wrong with your body. Because your body has to discard waste. How many of y'all go to the bathroom systematically? I mean, maybe a sort of a harsh example. But I, I got to make it real to you. Some of y'all, oh, okay. I need to know how many of y'all go to the restroom systematically on a regular basis. So the rest of y'all, something wrong with you. You better go get checked out. Okay. All right. I think my wife taking notes says, if. Ten minutes left in the sermon. He may have said something he shouldn't have said. I mean, <laughs> but you got my point. Just like you go to the restroom regularly and systematically, your giving should be regular and systematic. How about, what if God bless you based on the way you give? I think about that just for a second. What if he blessed you based on the way you give? Every now and then. All right, so giving should be systematic, okay? Uh, third thing, giving was 
and should be personal and individual. It's personal and it's individual. Some of y'all may have grew up in churches, and we, we should do this right here because we, if people didn't know any better, but uh, maybe they did know better, but they would, they would uh, print out a sheet and everybody's name was on the sheet and what you gave was on that sheet for everybody to see. Yeah. Now, it should be personal and individual. So, thank God that churches don't still do that. Some may still do. Okay. Now, now he, he, hear me carefully. I can't shame you into doing the word of God. And I, I, I don't try to do that. I don't try to shame. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to exhort you. And I'm not going to back off what the word of God says. But I can't shame you into to, to giving right. Because if you sh- you're giving it because you don't want to be shamed, you, you miss what giving is all about. And I want you to have a heart for giving. I want you to know how God uses that to get you to trust him completely and totally. All right? But give, giving was and should be personal and individual. Okay? If you got income, if you got something coming in, you know, whatever it is, then you, 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 you can give, right? Uh, giving is to be proportionate, proportionate. It's proportionate giving. Nobody tells you to give all your money to the church. It's proportional, right? He says, as God has prospered you, the more God blesses you, the more you give. I thank God to be able to give because that means that God is still blessing me with something I didn't have the week before or two weeks before. Giving is to be proportionate, okay? Paul made it clear, and I don't have time to go there in 2 Corinthians 8 chapter and 9 chapter, that, that Christian giving it should be done in, in grace. It should be grace giving. It should be giving out of, out, of, out of appreciation for the grace that God has shown us in our life. And lastly, money should be handled honestly. It should be handled honestly. Everybody say honestly. And that's one thing that we, we, we make sure that we do. We handle, we handle the resources that God has given us in an honest and in a transparent way. And, uh, and, and being wise in how we utilize the Lord's resources. Amen? Are y'all with the money to be handled honestly? Paul even said this. Um, look, look in 2 Corinthians 8 chapter, verse number 16. Go to, hurry, hurry. My yeah, I may not finish today. No. Okay. I am. I am. Watch this. Second Corinthians 8 chapter, verse number 16. Watch this right quick. But thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Look at what he says in verse 17. Titus, welcome my request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. Look at this. We're also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take what? He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem, a service that glorifies the Lord and what? Shows our eagerness to help. Now, there are times we ought to always pray. People say, well, what can we do? Just pray. Yeah, pray. But when there's a need, not only should I pray, but I ought to help you with that need. Assuming that you ain't just, just was frivolous and just threw your stuff away. I'm talking, all of us have time when we have need. And when that need arises, not only should we pray, but we should help. Because he says, he says taking an offering is a service that glorifies the Lord and it shows our eagerness to help. It shows our eagerness to help. Come on, read on, read on. Next verse. We are traveling together, watch this, to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. He said, we're traveling together so that nobody can say, well, you know, on the way down there, Paul took some of that money away. In, in the banking world, Yvonne, you remember this. Uh, when you would go into the money vault, they had something they called dual control, all right? So you don't want one person in the money vault by themselves, Right? First of all, it protects that person from being accused falsely because you got somebody else in there with them. 
Are you with me? So dual control, that's what, that's what Paul is, 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 is admonishing. He says, we are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. Look at the next verse. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. People need to know that you're honorable. He says, we're going to put this in place so that you won't question our, 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 our honesty and our viability in handling what God has blessed us with. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. Says, we are also sending with them another of our brothers who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is now even more enthusiastic because of this great confidence in, because of his great confidence in you. Watch this next verse. Read. If anyone asks about Titus, Say that he is my partner who works with me to help you and the brothers with him have been sent by the churches and they bring honor to Christ. In other words, he's letting them know we're sending trustworthy people. I don't believe in having people counting the money who don't tithe and give offerings. How are you going to count somebody's money and you stealing from the Lord yourself? I'm just saying that. How are you going to be a deacon who's counting the money but you're not tithing? No, 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 no. You, you, we're not gonna, that's not going to happen, okay? How am I going to preach this stuff and I'm not doing it myself? No, 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 that's not going to happen. Look, look at this next verse, okay? Verse 24, I'm, I'm finished. So show them your love and prove to all the churches that are boasting about you is what? Justified. Paul was actually encouraging this Corinthian church here uh, in, this, in this second letter. Hey, listen, we've bragged on you that you were ready to give this offering over a year ago. Now, listen, he says, I'm sending these trustworthy brothers to, to receive the collection, but please don't let them get there and then y'all didn't collect what y'all said y'all were going to collect. That'd be embarrassing. That's what he said later on, okay? Now, get back with me, okay? All right, so stewardship over money, right? That's important. Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, chapter. Come on, we got to move. Stewardship over opportunities. Look at verse 5 through 9 in 1 Corinthians 16, chapter. Stewardship over opportunity. We got, we got to make sure we're good stewards, stewards of our money, what God blesses us with, and let's be, be good stewards over our opportunities. I'm going to tell you all this. I've been guilty of this, and I still sometimes struggle with this, not, be, not using my time the most wisely. Is that, that right? Sometimes not being a, a good steward over, over time. Sometimes I'll break away from doing one thing, and to go do something else when that something else could have waited while I was doing this important thing over here. Anybody, am I my own one like that? Uh, I mean, I, I, I got to work on that. Because sometimes, the, you know, time is valuable. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's, here's my fault. Can I talk about me? My fault is that I don't mind doing whatever I, I got to do to help the ministry get to where it needs to get to. But I realize this. If we're going to grow any larger and be able to steward and shepherd more people, I can't be doing everything. Are you following me? But, but, but if, 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 if we need to go put something in the trash, I'll go put it in the trash. If, if I need to go uh, uh, change the light bulb, Brother Rod and I changed the light bulb this morning. He didn't ask me to do it. I just, I just decided to come up and help him change the light bulb. Why y'all looking at me like that? Well, what I probably should have said is, uh, See, I tell you what, Brother Rod, I don't want you to get on that ladder by yourself because that's, that's, you need somebody to kind of brace it. Go find Brother so-and-so, and, uh, and, and y'all go on and get that thing changed. But my nature, my inclination is, is to, if I see something needs to be done, I just go and do it. Now, I, I got to get better. Can I, I'm, talk, I'm talking about me, okay? I got to get better. So, so, so even though we went and changed the bulb, there was some time that was taken away from my meditation time. Are you following me? All right. But I ain't too good to change the light bulb. Hello. I ain't too good to go cut the grass. Hello. I ain't too good to go to the store and pick something up. And even Monica don't start getting on me now. She said, Pastor. She just look at me. We'll we get somebody to do that. Don't, because I'm, I'm itching. When it comes, I'm going to go get it done. But if we're going to move forward, there we go. Come on. Again, I don't mind delegating. But sometimes when I'm here and I see something that needs to be done, I just go do it rather than say, let me call you and you come from the house and go do it. But I got to get better. It's, everybody say, get better, pastor. 
I just told on myself, oh, I feel naked up here. <laughs> but that, that's, you know, in order for us to grow, we got to have that environment. We got to have that, that collaboration. We got to have that connectivity, okay? Watch this, okay? So I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia. For I'm planning to travel through Macedonia. Watch this. See, Paul was careful in his use of time as he was in his use of money. Someone, now, I'm very careful in, in, in the money thing, but I got to get better at the, at the opportunities and the time, all right? Are y'all with me? Someone has said that killing time is the chief occupation of modern society. But no Christian can afford to kill time or waste opportunities. So Paul informed his friends at Corinth of his plans to travel in the future and what his ministry was all about. And so, but watch what he says here. He says, perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way, on my way to my next destination. Look at this. Here. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. I like Paul's mindset, if the Lord's willing. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. Look at this. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. Paul says, I got an opportunity to, to spread the gospel, although I got opposition, but I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity. And lastly, guys, and I, I'm going to share this with you. We're going to share this on Wednesday. Now, I want to encourage you to make your way back on, on Wednesday night because we're, we're, we're getting into spiritual gift discovery. And we're going to talk about that some more Wednesday night. But one of the things that we discovered uh, in spiritual gift discovery is that the power of interdependence. We said that we all come into this world in dependent relationships. Dependent. We, we're depending on our mom and dad is to feed us, to take care of us, to clothe us. And then we're encouraged to grow up. And our side says that we are, we are mature when we become independent. All right. But God says, as a born again believer, I want you to be involved in interdependent relationships. In other words, uh, in gifting, spiritual gifting, we understand and we know that gifts were given by the Holy Spirit so that we can glorify God and do what? Edify others. And so all of us have giftings that are, that God wants to use uh, to help bless others. And so uh, when we become interdependent, guys, it helps us. Uh, it helps us to. It really, interdependent means that uh, that I'm I'm committing who I am and what God has graced me with to serve others. It means that uh, you know. It means that I, I know what I can offer and 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 what I need to do with it, and I'm, I'm offering it to help benefit other people. Okay. It it, it means that 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 I'm, I'm going to enjoy the fruit of 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 the spirit, I'm going to enjoy the gifts of the spirit and utilize those to help bless somebody else so that I am connecting with people so I can help bless people and I'm connecting with people so they can help bless me, right? And so some of the reasons why we don't connect, y'all, y'all, as I get ready to close, some of the reasons why we don't connect is because of fear of failure. Sometimes we don't connect because of pride. Sometimes we don't connect and become interdependent because of low self-esteem. Sometimes we don't connect because we're just indifferent. we just kind of nonchalant. we just case sarah Whatever's going to be, going to be. I'm just going to chill. Baby, you got to do more than chill in life. Some of us don't become interdependent because uh, we, we don't want to be seen as being weak. I got this on. I got this on. I can take, it, take care by myself. Well, God didn't design for you to take care of stuff by yourself. He designed you to connect with people. Are y'all with me? And sometimes we don't connect because we are in competition with people. Guys, we got to learn how to value interdependent relationship. And that, that's, that, that's the third point on that, which I'll pick up. Uh, well, we'll pick up on Wednesday night on that one because we're going to talk about this interdependence, okay? Uh, we we got to be stewardship. We got to be good stewards of the people who are in our lives. How are you stewarding the relationships in your life? Or are you all by yourself? Are you you content with just being by yourself? You content with not really being involved in church? Yeah, you, know, you, you kind of come to church. You come on Sunday, but 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 as far as really diving in and, and, and connecting and allowing your spiritual gift uh, to be used to help advance the ministry, you kind of not you're not there yet. But listen, but I, I hope that you'll get there, and I'm gonna, I want to encourage you to to, to make your back, way back out on Wednesday night as we're gonna talk a little bit more about. 
discovering these spiritual gifts because you got stuff that we need. But if you don't know it, if you're not utilizing it, it's not helping you, the body of Christ. Okay. So stewardship over people is something that we're going to discuss on Wednesday night. All right. God bless you. Jesus Christ gave his life for us out on Calvary. He died, guys, and was buried and resurrected so that we could have a joy-filled Christian life, so that we can go in advanced kingdom principles. I thank God for you, and let's move forward in faith. Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.